Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back to The Full Ratchet. Today, two of my favorite people in Chicago join us to talk underserved ecosystems. Stuart Larkins and Ezra Galston are practitioners at Chicago Ventures, one of the leading and most active seed VC firms in the Midwest. They've got a really interesting take on developing and underserved ecosystems, and we had a deep discussion on them in their offices at 1871. In part one of the interview, we first talk about each of their paths to VC. We discuss why and how Stewart started Chicago Ventures. We talk about the key ingredients for a startup ecosystem. Also, the major ways that certain ecosystems are underserved. We discuss those underserved ecosystems that Chicago Ventures are addressing and becoming involved with. I then get Stuart and Ezra's thoughts on Fred Wilson's assertion that no local investors in secondary ecosystems want to lead until a coastal VC comes in. We then chat through the major differences between established and emerging ecosystems. The guys weigh in on how Chicago Ventures is building awareness in ecosystems outside of where they are based. I get their take on if they think geofocus funds can generate outsized returns. I ask for their opinion on how the VC investment thesis changes for a fund in an underserved versus established ecosystem. And we'll wrap up part one discussing if each growing ecosystem needs its own distinct identity with a distinct focus. Here's the interview on underserved startup ecosystems with Stuart Larkins and Ezra Galston of Chicago Ventures. Today, Ezra Galston and Stuart Larkins join us from Chicago. We're in the Chicago Ventures office today, and the two of them were kind enough to join me for a discussion on underserved startup ecosystems. Stuart is co-founder and partner of Chicago Ventures. He oversees all aspects of CV, including fund management, deal sourcing, and investments. And Ezra Galston is a senior associate at CV. He focuses on all aspects of the firm's consumer-facing investments and has helped lead investments into Blitzy, Bloom Nation, Grace, Havenly, Kapow, Luxury Garage Sale, Pluto.tv, Shift Gig, Spot Hero, and Zipments. And Ezra also writes great content at BreakingVC.com. Stuart and Ezra, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Can, uh, Stuart, can you start us off with sort of your story and how you got into venture capital? Sure. Um, for, first off, never, never thought I'd be doing this in my life, but uh, 
about early um, 2000s, I got involved in a startup in Chicago called Performix. We were an early pioneer in performance marketing. Um, about late 2001, really got, got lucky and stumbled onto something really not well known then called search engine marketing. Um, and, uh, was fortunate to get to know my now partner, Kevin Willer, who, um, started the Google office here in Chicago. And we were one of the early partners of Google's AdWords platform, uh, grew that business quite, uh, quite dramatically over the 2001 to 2002 and three rapidly became the largest SEM in the country, made a little notoriety there. And, uh, we were acquired by DoubleClick in 2004. After that, I stayed on to you know run the search business for DoubleClick under Performix. It's uh, now still alive today, but through you know private equity acquisitions and a bunch of growth, we ended up selling ironically DoubleClick to Google in 2008. So it was a very good uh, transaction for everybody. Gave me the ability to um, stop working there shortly and reflect on what I wanted to do. And I really um, wanted to give back to the community of uh, the startup ecosystem that kind of gave me um, everything to date. So started doing some angel investing, um, got involved with AngelList early and, you know, had a bunch of friends like, you know, my partner, Kevin and former colleagues from Performix and DoubleClick that would come in and do rounds. We'd raise anywhere from 500 to a million dollars to these angel syndicates and, that kind of got me to really liking um, the early stage investing. It's really what I know, and I, it's really what I feel comfortable doing. Um, eventually led me to starting Chicago Ventures in 2012. And uh, Ezra, how did you get involved in CV and sort of the venture capital space? story is materially different. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was coding from a very young age and kind of always involved with uh, the internet and just kind of did a lot of marketing. So through some of my efforts, I mean, I was kind of doing marketing for some of the large movie studios, IFC and MGM, even when I was just a teenager. And when I got to college at NYU, when I was 18, I, I came I came with a full-time job at a boutique marketing agency in New York. So kind of served as a product manager for um, record labels like Sony, as well as some of our clients like Nickelodeon, who were, I mean, this was 02. We're trying to understand the web. We're trying to understand social communities on the web. This was pre-Facebook. So, you know, kind of, you know, how to get fans together, how to enable them to communicate, how to leverage street teams, stuff like that. So we would kind of, as a marketing firm, build out products for that. After college, I kind of burnt out and uh, ended up playing poker for a living for a few years. And it was very fortuitous because in addition to, you know, thankfully doing nicely, um, I met a friend named Taylor Kaby who was starting a company here in Chicago called Card Runners. Um, so I moved here in 07. Um, it had just gotten off the ground and, you know, we grew it pretty quickly to a few million dollars in revenue. We used uh, some of that money to buy another company called Holdem Manager that also grew pretty quickly. Um, and from that, you know, my business partners started another business, which they raised VC money for called Draft Day. Um, and instead, I, you know, starting starting companies hard. Um, I'd, you know, been with it for a few years. Um, and decided to get an MBA instead. And as part of going to business school, uh, I took an internship with a little VC fund called Chicago Ventures that was, you know, very much a startup itself. It, at the time, its office was, I don't know, maybe a hundred and it had no office, um, nope. was working out of someone else's office. And when we got an office, it was about 150 square feet. And, you know, just kind of worked my way up from intern to it's been a few years and, you know, more of a material part of the fund. Yeah. 
Ezra's been with me the longest of anybody so far. <laughs> well, don't hold it against me if I don't invite you to my weekly poker game. <laughs> we don't need. I you will hold it my against money. you. It's been a long time. <laughs> I don't think uh, I'm a winner, a winning player much anymore. So, so I touched on this in the intro, but can you talk about your focus areas at CV? Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, I think that at any small fund, any small early stage generalist fund, you need to be comfortable in in all areas. But when I just got here, and it was you know, Stuart and myself, I think we kind of, we all had to do a little bit of everything. Stuart will touch on this. I'm sure he's, I'd say he's the master of you know, kind of being competent in all areas. But as we've grown and we're up to five on the investment team now, we've kind of fragmented off into areas of passion and focus. So for me, I, I focus more on consumer facing businesses, um, more broadly, kind of any business that depends heavily on marketing or that sustains itself via network effects. I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of digging deep into the data behind that. And as an investor, feel very comfortable kind of understanding what to look for, what's signaling a breakout or even kind of uh, the type of markets that we should be looking at certain levels of, of opaque information that can be kind of disintermediated, stuff like that. Great. And Seward, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the firm at a high level? Sure. So um, started the firm in 2012. Our first fund size was $40 million. Didn't set out to raise $40 million first, raised, uh, set out to raise $20 million, and it was just myself and uh, Ezra as an intern. Then quickly as fundraising uh, progressed, I realized I was going to be able to raise more than that and needed to bring in another partner. That's when I brought in uh, Kevin as my partner. Uh, and we ended up closing the fund at 40 million, but you know, first time fund, it's a startup. So I do pretty much at the beginning, I did everything, including the, uh, tax work and, you know, uh, QuickBooks on a monthly basis, <laughs> everybody's credit card statements come to me and I'd sort them I all out. I get yelled at regularly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I take a lot of Uber rides, you know? <laughs> right, right. But I feel uh, your pain. As, uh, as we've grown the, the first fund and now we're on to our second fund, that we'll be closing here shortly. We've, you know, obviously got more, more fees to help and we've hired more folks. So we've got a good team in place now, but, uh, it still is a startup. You know, you've got to focus on, uh, hiring a good team, building a good culture and making sure that you're, uh, you're not, uh, leaving any stones unturned with things that can better you as a person, your company as a business and your portfolio company, which is the most important thing for us. So we need to really provide a lot of resources to help them. It's the ultimate irony. I don't think the founders always realize that the VCs are working just as hard to differentiate and raise capital as, as sometimes they are. Okay. But today's topic, we are talking about the underserved startup ecosystems. And first off, for either of you, uh, what do you think are the key ingredients for a startup ecosystem? I mean, the key ingredients, first off, capital, right? You need money. Mentorship is very important. Uh, community is really important. Uh, so if you look at Chicago, which we primarily focus on, um, we've had a lot of successful uh, wins in recent years. And those founders and CEOs of those companies have given a lot back to the community. There's also you know, more funds. We were one of the original funds back in 2012, but there are a couple more funds. It's still not anything near the, the valleys or the bigger markets. So you don't really have competition. It's more co-opetition with other funds. And then, you know, the community is really galvanized around the, the startup ecosystem. You know, we're sitting in 1871 uh, as we speak where our office is. And this has done a tremendous, 1871 has done a tremendous amount for the community in general. 
it really is a, a, a unique atmosphere and ecosystem that you don't see in many, many other cities. Ezra? I don't have a ton to add to that. I think that, listen, I'm, I'm a regular guy. I had two, you know, good small business startups. The, the thing I've seen most value additive at Chicago Ventures, and I guess Chicago in general, has been kind of the mentorship angle. I want to just dive into that, you know, a little bit is that we've surrounded the fund with some of the leading kind of entrepreneurs and executives in the Midwest. And, and it's not a sales pitch so much as it is that the companies where I think as investors, we feel the most comfortable are where some of those names and experienced operators have attached themselves to the business, either as a formal advisor or as a board member, or sometimes even as a consultant. And I just think that, you know, when you look to the, to the Valley, there's like this compounding flywheel of expertise that just gets stronger and stronger the more successes they have. And if you're not applying those same principles to any ecosystem, you're not going to grow. And so what we've seen here is that the businesses that seem to be moving along the, the fastest or the most you know, securely are the ones that have kind of ex- experienced mentorship around the table. It really does make a difference. And that just takes time. It takes time to have successes and it takes time for people to get confident with their own operational abilities. And we hope that we're building kind of the, the next wave of that that will enable kind of Chicago and the broader Midwest to grow tremendously from here. Yeah, it is. It is an important uh, aspect of, you know, the underserved market, so to speak. Uh, and when we set out to raise the fund, we really focused on uh, bringing more individuals and entrepreneurs in as investors, um, which you typically don't see in funds. They're mostly like institutional capital. Um, for us, we, you know, we hoped that bringing in these entrepreneurs and and you know folks who had prior successes would lead to them getting more involved. And luckily it has. So, um, you know, on our first fund, I think we at one point had 15 board seats and I was only sitting on five. The others, um, we had entrepreneurs like Brian Spaley or Sam Yagen that had gotten involved with us take board seats. And, you know, those are two very um, dynamic and capable individuals to help companies and have unique domain expertise that, you know, we, we didn't have. Very cool. So you have an active set of LPs, retail investors that get involved with some of the port codes that you invest in. We do. We do. Okay. Circling back to the ecosystem discussion, in what ways do you feel that some ecosystems are underserved? I mean, for the, for the reasons we just listed, I think many ecosystems are underserved. In fact, I think one of our one of our value adds when we go into you know a new geography, whether it's uh, I don't know, um, Minneapolis or Dallas or whatever it might be that doesn't really have a, a it has an emerging tech center, but not a deeply experienced tech center, is that we can kind of export some of the knowledge that we're building here in Chicago to their kind of, to their community as well. I think that we've done that successfully with a few investments. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yep, we have. Yeah. But um, I think the biggest underserved aspect of these um, ecosystems are uh, follow-on capital, to be honest. Follow-on capital, yeah. Yep. So there's plenty of seed money out there. Um, you know, I would encourage you to go get smart seed money, the right seed money. Um, but that follow-on capital Series A funding um, is still really hard today. Um, there aren't many firms that focus on, you know, these these um, other markets. Um, and you have to do a lot of selling, a lot of uh, pounding the pavement out on the coast to get the coastal funds to come in and write checks. We've been fortunate um, recently 
to have a couple of coastal funds come in, lead series A rounds with us, but it's not easy. You know, you've got, I feel like you have to have uh, extra special metrics to, to get those coastal funds to come in and put money in as you know, a lot of them don't, uh, don't want to spend time outside of the, the Valley or, or New York city. I would actually add a nuance to that, which is that in my mind, I, I would say the challenge is even harder is that it's more than follow on capital, right? Because that is difficult, but there is money locally there. There are growth rounds that happen. I think that having deeply experienced growth capital, the, the coastal funds that we have seen come in that have taken hundreds of companies public and can, again, build that knowledge base locally, build that flywheel locally. So you look at a guy like Matt Maloney, right, who had Bill Gurley on his board, then he takes his company public. So he basically imported a ton of knowledge from Bill Gurley, who's taken multiple companies public. He then took his own company public, and what he can then provide or give back to a local ecosystem is tremendous, but it takes time. Yeah, I just saw rankings of uh, VC firms that were ranking each other. So it was a poll on firms ranking each other. And I think Benchmark was two. Who was one? Sequoia. Sequoia was one. Big surprise. Yep. (laughs) All right. So Ezra, you mentioned Minneapolis. Can you talk about some of the other specific ecosystems that you've identified as underserved and maybe talk about some of your efforts there? Sure. Um, I'll start with Austin, Texas. So uh, a little bit of affinity for Texas because I went to school in Dallas at SMU. But uh, I had a, f- a friend, Brett Hurt. I don't know if you know Brett. He was the founder of CoreMetrics back in the early 2000s and Performix and CoreMetrics did some business together. But He went on to uh, sell that business and then found Bizarre Voice, which he took public. So Brett uh, is a serial entrepreneur, really involved in the ecosystem in Austin and um, there's a real lack of capital down there. And he called me and said, look, I've got some companies. He's doing a lot of angel investing. I want you to look at one or two of them. And I ended up flying down, sitting with them, making our first investment probably a year and a half ago in Austin. Today, we've got five. We've, uh, we're probably one of the more active investors in Austin, Texas, even though our, our name's Chicago Ventures. But we think communities like that, that you can go into make investments. First of all, you have to make investments to get involved. Otherwise people won't take you seriously. And then you have uh, connectivity with really well-known uh, successful entrepreneurs in that, those ecosystems. That's, that's how uh, we kind of look at it. So if we can couple those two things together, it makes it a lot easier. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Austin Ventures is, they've wound down and they, yeah, they don't, uh, they're not making any um, new active investments. So I'm sure your capital is is very uh, appreciated <laughs> it in is. Austin at this it point. It is, yeah. Yep. So we're trying to kind of repeat that process, not just in Austin, but in other areas. So, you know, two months ago, I went out to kind of the Mountain West. We made an investment in Denver in a company called Havenly. And, uh, you know, so I touched down in, in Denver and Boulder and then over to Salt Lake City. But just kind of word got out that I was coming to Denver. We've made one investment in the area. And there were a whole bunch of entrepreneurs emailing Havenly saying, Hey, her, you know, as we're coming to town, can, you know, can I get in front of him and, and just kind of walking around town, everyone wanted to chat. I mean, the, it, it's the, you know, as long as you're active and, and people know that you're authentic and, and real and actually willing to put money to work, it, you know, enables you to really build good connections and a good reputation in town. But I think the keys are being active and understanding the local angel network. So, you know, just as, as an example, when we invested in Havenly, I, after the investment was all closed and everything, I, I kind of went to the CEO and I said, who's the kind of one of the 
who's the best angel in kind of the Denver Boulder area that's just kind of under the radar, someone who's, you know, either an experienced operator or whatever, but, you know, just has kind of, uh, everything kind of comes to them. And, and she kind of gave me some, some leads, but I think that it's important to kind of build those, those kind of landmarks, which comes from getting to know the, the local angel community, as well as actually being active in sure. a geo. Uh, you working with any of the guys at Foundry Group? We co-invested with them in Havenly, and oh, Stewart's actually sat on a couple of boards with them. Sat on one board. board with Seth, so oh, good. I've known Seth for a couple of years. Well, guys, you know, Fred Wilson made this assertion that in secondary markets, there's a cat and mouse game of no local investors wanting to invest until a coastal institution steps up. How do you mitigate that? Well, first, do you agree with his assertion? And then how do you mitigate that? Uh, I don't agree on the seed level. I mean, deals will get done on the seed level. Series A, I do somewhat agree because you see, um, it's funny, you see uh, one of our companies that we see, they get a term sheet from a coastal firm and then everybody in the community wants to mm. come in, right? But usually it's too late then because the firms are larger that come in to raise the Series A and they want to take the majority of the Series A. So, Ezra, what do you think? Uh, I think we are trying to be the exception to the rule. It's hard to have conviction in this business. We've been doing it for almost five years now, and it takes time to build the confidence and conviction to be willing to step off a ledge when no one else will. It's something that I think we've all kind of talked about internally and we're working to grow on, but five years in, we're starting to do it more and more. And I think in, in the new fund, we've, out of our, what, 15 investments, led 10 of them. Yeah. Um, and that requires you know a, a lot more work um, and it requires a lot more confidence and conviction. But again, you know, I think it's something that comes with time. I think we're at the point here in Chicago where you know we've seen enough and we're comfortable enough that we're starting to do that more. And hopefully others will as well as they kind of gain more experience in their ecosystems. Could you guys speak to maybe some of the main differences of working in these underserved ecosystems versus those that are much more established, like the Valley or New York City? I don't know if either of you have been practitioners in those areas, but... I was wondering if you could give us some insight on on what you think uh, the differences are. There's a lot more collaboration in these ecosystems. Um, I mentioned it before that there's not much competition from a venture capital standpoint. So there's a lot of co-opetition. And then the community is really involved as well. One of the things we're very fortunate in Chicago is to have a very great group of Fortune 500 companies uh, around. And a lot of those companies get involved in early stages. We host, uh, you know, these demo days in our office probably once a month with all sorts of the big companies in town. And they would love to have the startups come in and, and give them business. So you don't see that as much. Um, in we the take back. the Cubs games and let them uh, network with the startups. <laughs> yeah, we do. Hey, it works. Yep. So, and I, I also think the companies in the Midwest and these outlier ecosystems in general are a little bit more grounded, right? So it's a, they're not trying to raise at crazy valuations and spend, spend, spend. It's a, it's a little bit more of a companies that are trying to solve problems for consumers or solve problems for businesses, not invent things that people are going to try to adopt or invent new processes, which is good and bad, right? Because you probably won't you won't see the next Google come out of Chicago, but you're going to see a lot of really good businesses that are solving problems. So I think it's, it's just a more grounded aspect. 
in fact, if you look at kind of the Chicago success stories, um, and we've we've talked about this at length. I mean, I it's not surprising that none of the social apps came out of Chicago. I think every kind of ecosystem hit one except Chicago. New York hit Foursquare. The Valley had you know Twitter and Facebook. L.A. had Snapchat. Chicago didn't, but what we do have are great transactional businesses, whether that's Grubhub, Raise.com, Avant is a transactional solution to a problem, Grub, uh, Groupon is a transactional solution to a problem, right? Um, so you had very powerful transactional businesses that were revenue producing from day one, and, and that's okay. Those are those are all big, hopefully successful businesses. And, sure. and SaaS businesses too, Field yeah, Glass, sorry. Clever Safe. Mm-hmm. Um, Big machines, all, you know, 500 plus to billion plus exits. So I'm curious about this point of building awareness. So let's say I'm trying to build some some deal flow and some activity in an Austin or in a Denver. What, aside from just making investments and deploying capital, are ways that I could build awareness in those ecosystems and, and get involved in the ecosystems out there? The biggest awareness you can build is your reputation, and your reputation comes by not just providing capital, it comes by providing help to the founders, to the CEOs, to the teams. So um, we pride ourselves in being very hands-on in what we do. If you ask any of our founders, most of them will tell you we're probably the most active investor they have. Even if it, you know, we come in with a Valley firm, we're closer to them, right? We're, we sit with them almost on a weekly basis. Um, we get our hands dirty. And you know, doing that, the CEOs and the teams in those companies go out and talk about you. So in Austin, you know, we probably get uh, one deal a week that comes from uh, portfolio companies that are down there. Either the CEOs or parts of the team say, hey, you should talk to Chicago Ventures. So I feel like doing that really helps. And what we're doing it really because as entrepreneurs ourselves, if I were, were picking an investor, I'd want an investor that's going to help me in specific ways, not just with capital. So, you know, we get, we get really involved with our portfolio companies. As an extension to that, I would also add that one of the elements of feedback I got from um, when I was on the road and, and we're on the road a lot, you know, talking to the angels or, or kind of existing seed funds and different geos um, was to not be transient, meaning that, you know, if, you know, we do invest on the coast where there is a clear opportunity for us to add value based on our network, right? So if it's a company's trying to sell into the Fortune 500 or into retailers, of which there are many in, in the Midwest, right? That, that's one understanding. And, and on the coast, I think we're comfortable being transient because that's not our focus. But, you know, in an area like Austin, if, you know, if we only showed up there once every six months, they're looking for kind of investors that they can relate to and build relationships with. And so if you kind of pop in once a year and say, hey, you know, we were interested in Austin, but you're not committed to it, it's hard to build the sustainable long-term reputation. So I think every single person on the team has been down to Austin in the last six months. And we do have five investments there, but it's a committed focus from the team. And I think in all the geographies where we're trying to build reputations, it's be there every six weeks, not every 12 months. Do you think a geofocus fund can generate outsized returns? If so, why? I'll let uh, Stuart take this. He's been, uh, <laughs> he's been having this conversation a lot. Yeah, obviously um, we think they can. Uh, <laughs> closing on the second fund. Hope um, so. I've got my net worth tied up to this, baby. <laughs> right. um, I think you can. So we're 
not just geo-focused, but it's also the size of the fund. So if you stay focused on, you know, what we do, we lead seed stage investments, right? And the majority of the companies we're getting involved in are very early. We're the first institutional money in. So the valuations are, are quite low. And, you know, we don't need billion dollar returns to return our fund for itself. If we do get those, the fund would do extremely, extremely well. So we feel like um, that's that's one aspect, not being a huge fund and focusing on solid companies we can do well uh, for our investors. I think one other way to look at it, I don't know, I'd be curious if you think I'm wrong about it, but one other way that, that I like to look at it is that, you know, if you look at the last maybe eight years of Chicago, um, there's probably been somewhere between seven and 10 unicorns, some realized, some on paper. And, you know, there's only a handful of seed funds. When we got started, we were kind of the only one of the first really formal seed funds. And so that's a lot of value created on a, you know, kind of per capita basis of investor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it actually gives us a better likelihood of picking some of those kind of breakout winners, whereas there may be more volume in in other geographies, but there is, you know, you're just, you're, you're one of hundreds, right? If, if you're out there as an investor. So, and we're focused on more than Chicago, right? We're active in many geographies. So that's the way that one way that I like to think about it um, in terms of kind of increasing our potential returns. Does the investment thesis have to be different for an underserved ecosystem than it would be for a, you know, well-served flywheel, fully developed ecosystem like a, one of the coastal? Um, I, I would I would think it would uh, just because of the competition of other funds, right? Um, you have to be a lot more laser focused, probably, you know, specifically doing SaaS or, or, or e-commerce or something like that. And you see that in a lot of the more successful Valley funds. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to PacWest.com to learn more. What about the identity of an ecosystem? Uh, do you feel like some of these ecosystems, maybe in Minneapolis or in Denver, do you feel like they need to have a distinct identity of their own with distinct strengths? And if so, what are those ecosystem identities in the places that you work? And the bigger ones, I I don't necessarily see see anything unique. You know, the smaller markets, uh, you know, obviously Detroit, you see a lot of companies focus on automotive coming out of there. But I'm 
it's hard to hard to say. I haven't really seen too much. Yeah, I mean, in, in the smaller ecosystems, I think a lot of it is dependent on just what the prior successes have been. Like, if you take Indian, Indianapolis as an example, I mean, so Exact Target is the story in Indianapolis, and then you've got a whole Exact Target mafia that understands SaaS, certainly understands email, um, and they just start businesses. I mean, there's there's kind of there's a lot of very interesting businesses coming out of. Indie, uh, you know, if you go to Atlanta, you know, they're kind of one of the emerging security, you know, cybersecurity kind of capitals of, of the country. So, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is dependent on prior successes. But again, you know, everything is really early. It's I just I like restating that for myself, one, because maybe I'm trying to give myself solace that it's going to take, you know, <laughs> a long time in this business. But a lot of these ecosystems really are really, really young, you yep. know, less than a decade old with any type of real formality. I mean, here in Chicago, uh, 1871 is only four years old, and that was kind of the tipping point of having a true tech watering hole in Chicago. There were there were prior ones in, in different incarnations, but that was the, the real fo- kind of the formal coming together, I think, of the local community. You know, this is a, an interesting point because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but some investors in town that are very vocal have talked about Chicago as a B2B enterprise startup town. And I just have to disagree with them because I think some of our biggest successes have actually been consumer facing. Um, And I know you're kind of a consumer oriented investor. So I would love to hear your take on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a layup for us. (laughs) (laughs) So I've actually done the data on it um, and I just haven't published it. But if you look at kind of the the breakdown of um, total invested capital and to call it the 50 best funded companies in, in Chicago, at least, it is far more balanced between B2C versus B2B than any outsider might consider. Again, that's because of your outliers, but that's the way that it works, right? Outlier businesses tend to get more capital. So that's fair. But again, it's as I stated before, if you look at the breakout runaway consumer successes in Chicago, they have a transactional focus, right? People in Chicago, it's an affluent, fairly affluent community, lots of young professionals, lots of very kind of concentric circles of geographies. You've got, you know, meaning lots of different neighborhoods, you know, they each have kind of their own, their own personality there. So, you know, uh, there's lots of ways to market locally that make Chicago really interesting, both, I wouldn't say easy, but a very interesting and unique market to start marketing into and start building a brand. You also see a lot of people from the schools in Chicago disperse across the country, mm-hmm. um, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. But in terms of building awareness and building virality, that can be very powerful as well. Um, so it's not a surprise to me. I think that, you know, and I give Stuart a lot of credit for kind of embracing some of my passions here, but I think as a VC firm, we've probably, our first fund was pretty balanced, almost 50-50 between consumer-facing businesses and, and B2B businesses. And I certainly think we've you know, so to speak, stepped off the ledge in terms of having conviction around consumer businesses, probably more or nearly as much as anyone else in town. But yeah, the the data would definitely seem to suggest that the old adage, sorry, of, you know, Chicago's a, you know, boring, sleepy B2B town is, is, it's one part of the story, but it's not the only story. Got to stop slacking on breaking VC, Ezra. Get get that post up. <laughs> yeah, I'm tr- I'm trying to refine the data. I was using kind of some public sources. Want to make sure it's 100 percent accurate before I yeah. go to market with it. I'm just just as, as any good journalist would do, my friend. <laughs> really interesting to get Stuart and Ezra's take on secondary startup markets. Tomorrow, in part two, we will cover 
The guy's opinion on why the majority of high net worth accredited investors have never invested in venture. How Chicago Ventures has been so successful yielding follow-on funding for their portcos, having been ranked the second seed fund in the country for follow-on funding by CB Insights. I also get Stuart and Ezra's opinion on how the role of VCs will change in the coming decade as these different ecosystems evolve. They then provide some advice for entrepreneurs and investors that are working in these emerging ecosystems. And we'll wrap up with their final thoughts, my takeaways, and a tip of the week. As always, jump on the site. It's fullratchet.net for all links and show notes. And sign up for the newsletter to get the latest content from the Full Ratchet, as well as the top 10 rated VC articles of the week. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll see you again soon.